0: You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Astis and Isla Krem. Today's episode features Dimitra Rizzi and Stephanie Lind of Alohi. Dimitra was a protege of Dave Thomas, and Stephanie was an early employee at Impossible Foods, so they know a thing or two about food tech. Hopefully, after today's event, you will too. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. In case you haven't been here before, most of you have. We're going to pop you into small breakout rooms to give you a chance to network a smidge before the main event starts in just a few minutes. So if you see the notification, feel free to hit OK. And then we'll uh, hopefully let you meet some new pe- new faces. Well, and people as well, not just the faces. I'll add on Zoom. That might actually be the correct way to say that. But on that note, welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, you had some good conversations in your rooms there. Uh, just for those of you who haven't been here before, most of you know it, but the agenda of what's on tap today, we're going to talk very briefly about Diffuse Tap and Diffuse. We're going to spend about 15 minutes with a fireside chat with our expert speakers of the day, Dimitra and Stephanie. And we are going to do another two breakout rooms, very similar to the ones that you just did. It's about a quarter networking, uh, or sorry, three quarters networking in small groups. So kind of let serendipity do its thing, meet a bunch of other emerging managers and people that play in that space. 15 minutes, we talk to a speaker. And if you like this event, we do have a sister event. It is invite only, but it is for LPs. So this is kind of the GP event. The LP is for folks that are active allocators into alternative funds in some way, shape or form, which leads us into what is Diffuse. What we do is fund in a box. Really, we incubate new alternative funds. We do it across a number of different sectors. We do closed-ended, we do open-ended, um, venture capital, film finance, um, digital assets, we're doing a big push at the moment with some open-ended funds launching in the next month or two, well, next week or two, really. One of those is Regiment Alpha. It is an early-stage fintech fund based here in Chicago, but investing across U.S. and Europe. It's also really heavily focused on DeFi. And the open-ended fund I referenced, the one that's launching in a couple of weeks, is Diffuse Digital 30. It is, as far as we know, the first true index fund for digital assets, so cryptocurrencies. It's the top 30 uh, on market cap weighted basis, monthly rebalance, really trying to position as the black rock for digital assets. So with that's our speakers of the day are Dimitra Rizzi and Stephanie Lind. I'm not very good with introductions, so maybe, Demetra, do you want to kick off a little bit of uh, your background? Then we hand it over to Stephanie.
1: Sure. I'm, uh, I'm Demetra Rizzi. I am the CEO of Elohi Strategic Advisors, which, by the way, was founded by Stephanie. So um, there's the good news. We work together. We like each other on most days. Um, but my background is in absolutely everything food um i am greek and um, by default we like food so i have worked with big companies like sarah lee wendy's international i've been on the op side i've been on the manufacturing side i've also been on the small smallware side um, where i helped uh, take a company from 45 million to 210 million in two years and sold it uh three times bought four companies while we were there um, and then I retired in uh, 2019 on a Friday and Stephanie called me on a Monday and the rest is history. And that is all about me. Um, and I am a huge Green Bay Packers fan in case you cares. I sorry
0: you. Really, I do. There you go. All right. Well, aside from that poor note that you ended on an impressive career, thanks for that.
2: <laughs> Stephanie? Sure. So. Uh... Demetra's the adult in the room. I'm the fun one. Um, I spent 23 years working for big companies like PepsiCo, Carry Ingredients, um, Cisco Food Service, uh, across sales supply chain marketing. In 2015, decided I really didn't fit in the box that's known as corporate America and I wanted to have a legacy that was not about Fritos and soda. So as much as I love those things, if I'm honest, Um, We'll never speak of this again, by the way. Um, So, I founded the company to really help uh, sustainable emerging brands launch into food service. And we've really um, grown over the years, particularly with our 18-month project with Impossible Foods. So, if you've heard of a little company called Impossible Foods, Alohi actually wrote that strategy and then conducted the scaled launch in 2018. We continue to work with companies from all over the world in cellular ag, um, indoor uh, farming, tech space, uh, and then obviously plant-based foods. But um, we are all things food service. It's really our specialty and anyone who thinks food service is dead really needs to call us because it is not dead. uh, and that's a little bit about us. We have a, a team of 25 and we do the strategy plus execution for companies you've never heard of and for some that you have. And um, uh, you'd be surprised to know what they don't know about food service that we're helping them with.
0: Love it. Well, we're excited to talk, talk food, all things food. Uh, my partner in crime is Isla Cram. Um, Isla, do you want to take it away with the first question for these
3: people? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that we've noticed whenever we talk about a specific asset class or vertical is that most people actually don't know how to think about it necessarily. So food tech, what does it really mean? What's included? In that, in terms of the different sub-segments that uh, an investor should be aware of.
2: Yeah, so I would argue food tech is a is a really muddy term um, because there is so much happening in food and food and food and beverage encompasses everything from the ingredients that go in to the uh, agriculture, the systems that actually grow the ingredients that go through a supply chain. Um, Uh, We think about food tech as really, they're kind of food tech, ag tech separately, food tech predominantly being about um, improving the supply chain and the nutrition systems. Um, What we are asked about the most, obviously, is alternative proteins. So, as you're thinking about alternative proteins, um, I would encourage you not to think about plant-based. If all you're talking about is plant-based, you're actually missing what's going to be really exciting over the next five to 10 years. So we can talk more about that. Let's see if Demetra agrees or wants to add on.
1: Well, I do agree, but I would also add this. We get the whole food tech piece, but what I think people are really, um, they're like immersed because it's the latest thing is this whole protein piece, right? The alternative protein. I would also add that anybody that's really interested in food tech should be thinking about fiber. And that's a big deal. And when you see companies today that are thinking about those, the alternative proteins and the fiber together, I will tell you that is the winning combination going forward. It's kind of like plant-based was, as I like to say in 2015, I think this whole piece of the whole nutrient alternative protein, as well as fiber put together, that's gonna be a huge deal.
0: And, And this, kind of to to expand on that we'd love to learn more and Demetra, this question is going to be long-winded but ultimately to you um in my head I just envision you guys just on your free time sitting around the kitchen table eating crickets to try to get a really good idea of what type of proteins and alternatives there really are so what are some of the actual like concrete is crickets a thing like I know it's an alternative protein what are some of the really kind of cool exciting new horizons that you're seeing
1: Uh, yeah so um (laughs) funny you should ask and yes I do sit around the table and I do eat all the crazy things because one of the rules in our company is unless Dimitra tastes it we're not going to work with it Uh, because I got to tell you I've had to kiss a lot of frogs and what I mean by that some of this stuff is awful and so I think sometimes people think they have something really cool no you don't because in the United States of America, the first and foremost is is I have to like it as a consumer, right? But now let's talk about those things, right? Um, there are um, so many alternative proteins. Like I'll tell you, grasshoppers. I would have never in my life thought about that, right? I would have like. But do I eat them? Sure. I go to Mexico and other countries and I have them on my plate. They serve them with my octopus. Right. They serve them with a lot of things. But in the U.S., we're not thinking that the rest of the world is into the insect piece. I would tell you insects. Absolutely. Right. Um, And all by the way, um, put in certain products you'll never think that they're in there. Uh, my example is, uh, we met with someone and Stephanie said, she brought you a brown- some brownies. And I thought, well, isn't that nice? Um, I tried the brownies. And then the woman goes, well, I'm a grasshopper farmer. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck? And she was, there's grasshopper or cricket flower or whatever it was in there. Um, how do you like it? And I was like, well, oh, that's fantastic. Right? So I think we have to get past our own kind of um, blind spots or biases or whatever but absolutely we try those there's you know there's the whole cellular piece right um oh my god um the whole cellular like seafood um chicken i mean we have tried it all and i would tell you there are products out there today um that people are working on to stephanie's point about us not you know working with companies that aren't out yet wow when they come out people are going to be like what this is unbelievable Um, Because it is, you know, and everyone wants to everything to taste close to the real thing, whatever it's in. um, It's going to be and it's going to, um, there's going to be a lot of things that you guys see coming out, you're going to be like, Oh, my. Okay, yeah, I remember that conversation. And um, Steph, I know you talk to a lot of people, I think you would agree with me, but who knows, you might disagree.
2: No, I, I I am a huge advocate of insects as feed and food. Um, I think if you're looking at where to put your money, I would be not be looking at plant-based. I'd look, be looking at mycoproteins or fungi. I'd be looking at insect protein. I'd be looking at cellular ag. Um, but I'd also be looking at proteins that are out there and available that actually have a much better nutrition quotient and getting the conversation I had on my little networking thing earlier was you have sort of this vegan movement and you have this regenerative agriculture movement. So again, food is a system and, and yes, there are all these great proteins out there, but how do you farm it? How do you get it from one place to another? How do you treat farmers well? So I think it's not going to be just about is the, is the product nutritious right but is it grown well are the farmers taken care of is the supply chain efficient what's the net carbon emission of making and producing and moving that product so it's going to get actually i think more complex not that it hasn't been complex it's just nobody talked about it before i think
1: humor is getting much more aware right Mm -hmm. so if COVID did nothing else for us it taught us as human beings we're not doing well with what we put in our bodies, especially in the US, sorry, we, we, we're liquored up, right? So now what's happening with the American consumer, they're going out and saying, oh, oh, I didn't know this had sugar in it. Oh, what, no fiber, right? I, I am amazed at the fact that we don't understand how good fiber is for us. Mm-hmm. And we you know, constantly are talking to people who are like, come on. And this whole thing about using you know, the fungi or using all these different things to help other countries are doing so. And I think in the US, we're so far behind, we think we're first and we're not.
3: That kind of brings up an interesting point. I was kind of mentioned in one of the chats here as well, is when it comes to due diligence in one of these opportunities, and it's not maybe a layman, how should they think about the economics of the supply chain and all the kind of bits and bobs that go into one of these opportunities and actually evaluating whether it's a good one or not? Um, I would assume that there's hundreds of deals that come across your desk on a monthly basis. Um, how should somebody think about feeling the best ones?
2: Dimitri, you take this one. Yeah, I see you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, I would tell you, um, so yes, we do get quite a few. Um, and, and here's the biggest thing. If you can't scale and if you don't know how to scale and Yeah, don't go, don't go launch, right? Um, I would tell you one of the biggest mistakes that we've seen happen, whether it's plant-based, cellular, anything else that we've been working with is this whole idea of supply chain. Um, And it's also the um, logistics, right? Uh, Of the supply chain, most importantly. Um, And I am not, and I know Stephanie is different in this than me, I am not a fan of relying on a co-man to do everything for me, um, because I worry that if something should change with them, then what happens to me? So I'm I'm a fan of early having co but then figuring out how I do this myself and how I create my own supply chain, um, and maybe because I like um, the vertically integrated piece of it, right? Um, but I would tell you supply chain is the number one issue. And we've seen people fall on their face when they shouldn't have because they didn't. And this is why we are strong believers in having a strategy. They didn't plan for the demand and then they got caught short and then they upset people. And that's not good in the food service world in the U.S.
2: Or retail for that matter. So plan to
0: scale. I like that. And uh, Demetra, in in your in a, in a former life, did you happen to work closely with somebody who had a lot of success uh, scaling uh, a food service business?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I, I worked for two somebodies, right? I worked for Wendy's and I also worked um, for Sarah Lee. And, and I tell people, I don't have a PhD from a university. I have a PhD from the companies that I work for, as well as the people that I work for. And the one thing that we were always taught by Dave Thomas was, do not, do not run out of anything and we will never launch anything without making sure that our supply chain is in place and we have a backup. That was Dave Thomas. At Sarah Lee, I would tell you, I learned in some cases what not to do. We bought companies, we did integrate We didn't have a plan. Right. Um, And then we wondered why Sarah Lee, I would tell you is a great case study for anybody that teaches in a university level, why Sarah Lee kind of imploded. Right. Um, And that those two things for me, in my opinion, have stuck in my brain. So today when we work with our clients, um, as Stephanie likes to say, I'm the adult in the room, but I'm actually the blunt one in the room. And I kind of Ask them to stop doing certain things when I know they're heading for a train wreck. And Stephanie has lived through some of this with some people that she's worked with.
0: And muted Stephanie, that's a good segue to you. What else do you uh, think about? What are the key things when you're when you're talking scalability with your customers and in your your uh, hard hard one experience that you bring?
2: Yeah. So yeah. So I, you know, a couple of things that I would tell this group as investors. Um, there is so much push for brand, right? Well, you have to have a brand, and everyone avoids the ingredient play, the industrial play. And there is so much money to be made or margin to save to support your retail business. Um, I just find right now, um, to Demetra's point, you've got to be able to scale. But it, again, we preach this all the time. But figure out early where you're going to go with the product. And retail is very expensive. Um, It's getting harder and harder to get, especially with the consumer changing how they purchase to get the consumer down the aisle. There's not a good way to have them try things. So, um, brand can be important, but but don't don't look at brand beyond. Don't look at brand um, as the only way to build a scalable, profitable business in the food space. So when we see founders that are adamant, I'm, Going to retail, right? Or I'm going to start in food service, and, and that's all they think about. Um, that for us is a red flag, right? Because it tells us they're not stepping back and thinking about the business holistically. They're also probably not, to Dimitra's um, point, going down the, the operations path of thinking about what are the ingredients, the packaging, and the manufacturing that I need to scale across channels, right? So, but that said, what's old is new, right? So, TV ads are coming back and You've got Clubhouse, which is basically a bunch of radio channels, right? So, how are the ways? All of that said, however, PR does not equal marketing. So, what we see a lot in this space, and it's driven by, uh, honestly, by VC, is PR, PR, PR. And frankly, PR can be the worst thing that you do early. So, again, if I'm looking at a brand and they don't have the supply chain in in, in place to scale a business across channels over time... Number two, all they believe in is PR um, and they don't understand the difference between PR and marketing and how they should work together. My mom is shaking her head at me. She owned an ad agency. Um, and uh, and they're not thinking beyond just a branded product. Um, then it becomes a, those are red flags for us.
3: Which kind of begs one important question. Um, what should the check size be into any of these businesses? Because I would assume it goes from teeny tiny to ginormous given the amount of uh, actual hardware and manufacturing facilities and et cetera. And also probably the runway to go from zero to product is potentially longer in this industry than in many others or maybe akin even to um, to developing hardware product. Um, but what's, what kind of checksets would people think about and what kind of returns should they think about in this space? Well,
1: so I would tell you it's, for us, we like to start off asset light and really build the company. Uh, I get a bit aggravated, as Stephanie will tell you, because we, here's what I don't understand. I came into this and I thought, why are these people not making money right away? And that just just sends me because uh, if I'm going to invest in you, I want to return on an investment and no, I don't want to wait five years. So what I would tell you is, is if you're looking at a company and they can't tell you their next two to three years, how they're looking at their run rate and revenue and how they're looking at their SG&A and everything else that they need, I, I would tell you, please run away because it is possible to do that and to figure those things out because we do. The second part is, is that I would tell you if there's somebody and we just work with someone and they're telling us, well, we need a hundred scientists on board and we're like, and what are they going to do all day? You have one product. I want to know what they're doing. No, not an option. I also would say, so in this, what I'm trying to say is you got to dig into why they're um, building their structure in the way that they do. Because the one thing that we have found is everybody out here wants to have this whole idea of this big company and they've got to get all these people in right away. And they, they don't understand how to do things that are uh, asset light at the beginning and people light at the beginning. And then you build as you go and you create that momentum. And then what happens is they find themselves upside down and then they're not making money, which I don't care that it's plant-based. I don't care this alternative, anything. I'm sorry, but, you know, after your first year, you should be talking about how you're going to get to bright.
2: So um, keep Mitra. Yeah. Talk a little bit. So I think uh, I think what what I was asking is about, you know, if you're a VC and you're putting money, in, money in sort of when should you put money in and how much should you put in? And yeah. I think the example of the company that we worked with down in um, out of Ecuador, mm-hmm. sort of the way they were thinking about it versus now how we've positioned them. Um, And why that matters for their growth? Because that's the other piece is I think you can really inhibit the growth of a brand with little bitty checks and so much freaking fundraising. It makes me crazy.
1: Yeah. So in this case, we think that this is
2: uh, going to be a breakthrough company.
1: Uh, We don't think we know. Um, Everybody that has uh, talked with them is like, oh, my God. And they were going after family and friends. And, oh, it was so much work. And we're like, guys, no. You have to position your company and you have to figure out what you're gonna do pre-series A, go get a bridge loan, go do whatever you gotta do. We think you need probably four or 5 million to stand this thing up. And then we go, then we build what we need to build on. And then we go for a series A. By the way, this isn't the only company we did it with a plant-based seafood company as well because they were having a hard time raising funds because they didn't tell the story the way that they needed to, which was, here's what we're creating. Here's what it's gonna look like a year from now, three years from now, and here's all the things underneath it that make this uh, make sense, right? So we uh, reposition companies when they come to us and they say, well, we're just at the beginning and here's how we're raising money. We truly believe that you should go find the VC groups or angel investors or whoever you need um, to get you that bridge and then for the series A build on that. Versus going out and trying to get little bits and pieces here from people and banks and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, and don't go do a two million here and no million there and five million. Like we counsel clients to you know go for one big raise, create your story, go for a big Series A. Because again, I think one of the disservices that pardon me to everyone on this. Um, but one of the big disservices that VC does to these upstarts, particularly in food, is there's just this continual raise, right? And a lot of money comes in that doesn't understand the space. Back to my comment about building a brand versus really understanding how all the channels work together to drive profitability over time. Um, but if you're looking at a, at a company and you've done your due diligence and you feel really good about it, like, go in big, right? If they're asking for two, figure out how you can get them to five or 10, even if it's over time, so that they don't have to spend their time fundraising. They can actually build the business, which is better for you in the long run. I don't know if we answered the question because I don't think there's a right answer in this space, but that was I, wanted, good. I wanted to preach for a second.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's funny because one of our previous speakers, uh, I think they, they made a comment along the lines of like, when you go raise money, you're going to give a 15 to 20% of your company anyways. So just raise as much as you can. Um, And then the valuation takes care of itself. But that does take us to the end of our fireside chat. In between uh, breakout rooms, we are going to pick up some more, actually some questions from the chat. So feel free if you want to ask these good ladies anything, put something in there, but quick uh, housekeeping items for the breakout rooms. No hard pitching. We're there, kind of network, not to kind of just try to raise money. Um, no a-holing. It should be pretty self-explanatory. And then also um, for the, we don't send out a participant list. So swap details in the chat if you find somebody you want to connect with. We do have a Telegram group. We no longer have a WhatsApp group. I'll expand on that in a little bit. So join us on Telegram. Ila will put the link in. Ila do you want to talk a little bit about the breakout rooms and uh, give yeah. them a
3: talk? I'll pop you guys in breakout rooms now. You'll be four or five people in each room. Um, The topic is which food trends do you believe are fads and which are here to stay? Introduce yourselves, have a quick chat, and I'll bring you back in about 10 minutes or so. All right. See you all in a moment.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, you met some interesting folks. Um, We're going to do, we're a little bit behind on time, so we're only going to do one quick question, Um, but it's an open-ended one. So, Stephanie, to you, and you might be muted. Um, there's a lot of chatter in the, um, chat box about mushrooms, where you think that fits into it. And while we're there, we might as well talk about both the regular mushrooms and then uh, a little bit of bleed over into the, maybe more psychedelic version of them. And then the kind of generally the edible market in general, what are your thoughts about that space?
2: Yeah. So mushrooms, absolutely. Right. When you hear the term mycoproteins, M-Y-C-O, That is fungi-based protein, and there's a lot being done with um, fermentation. The company that's been doing it for 30 years is corn, Q-U-O-R-N, right? So if you want to kind of see how it all started, start there. But to me, mycoproteins is a big one. Um, Mycoproteins actually have fiber, so you get the protein and the fiber, and there's some uh, research around the impact for your gut health as well. So it's really, that's an interesting space. Um, As far as the psychedelics, um, I got to tell you, I just uh, started reading the Michael Pollan book. Um, I've been following cannabis. I mean, again, it's all interrelated, right? It's all, what are the things that are out there that we've been able to, or that we've, you know, indigenous people have used for millennia for their health and for nutrition. And I think there's a, a lot in mother nature, frankly, that we're either ignoring or that has been, um, tread over by the, the wheels of John Deere tractors in commercial agriculture. And I will get off that soapbox right now.
0: <laughs> I imagine there's a whole, uh, that goes oh, yeah. much, that, that goes much deeper. <laughs> Do you make sure anything to add on, uh, those, those, those subjects?
1: Uh, no, no, I'm good. She does a really good job. The only thing that I would say is the psychedelics thing. Keep an eye on it. I think this is big. I personally think this is going to be the way forward, and it's going to turn uh, even the medical community, in my opinion, upside down. Because there's some things going on that's really cool there. Huh.
0: Fascinating. Um, okay, is, if, is that is that space you guys play in in general? Because like odd edibles. Um... Like more like cannabis in particular, like that's obviously come on psychedelics. I don't know. I think it's still illegal, right? So probably not near term.
2: So the cannabis, yes. So I worked with one of the biggest cannabis companies out of California. Major implicate. Like again, there's room for it in the food space and what we do. It's just back to you mm-hmm. know federal lines um, for the the edible um, mushrooms. Um, I. We're not doing anything with it yet because I think it's too early. Again, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more of a pharmaceutical, more of a pharma play. Um, but I think the potential for it in food is huge. But I think we're a long way off for that.
1: Well, and I would tell you, um, I disagree with Stephanie on that part. I think the potential for food is high and it's going to be now. I have a, a very close friend that's in this industry and she and I actually just had a conversation last night about this. And she said, we are starting to work on the food side of this.
2: Does that um, mean you get some?
1: Yeah, that means, oh God, this is what she needs, just what Stephanie needs. Um, uh, yeah, I try to keep this stuff away from her. Um, Those samples are coming to my house, Dee. Yeah, I know. But I would tell you, I think people should run, not walk on this one. Uh, I, I'm telling you, big, big, big deal. Take it from me. Um, and, it, you know, when I'm now, when I think about investing, I think about psychedelics.
0: All right. Good to know. Well, we're going to do one more breakout room um, and then pull you back about a few minutes before to wrap up and maybe one last question um, for our speakers. Isla, do you want to do topic for the breakout room?
3: Yeah. Why don't we continue on this one? Do you think that standard stimulants will be replaced by the natural cousins? Um, this topic always catches on fire in breakout rooms. So we'll just go with it. I'll open the rooms oh. now and we will see you back in five.
0: All right, guys, we are um, running a little bit behind. So we're going to do a quick wrap up and uh, may have time afterward for one more question. But we do try to end it at the top of the hour every, every week. Um, so up next, yes, Telegram. We are maybe deleting WhatsApp. Certainly, it's already in read-only. So if you want to connect with the community, um, WhatsApp is not the right way to go about that anymore. So do join us on Telegram. The community is great about answering questions and in particular making introductions because uh, as, as is this event, it's very heavy on networking. So introduce yourself and come up with an ask. You'll be surprised. People usually pretty good about it. As a reminder, what we do at Diffuse is uh, fund in a box. We really incubate alternative funds, open-ended, closed-ended uh, venture. I see AJ here, so film finance. Uh, we really focus on that being a lifetime partner, acting as the or CFO, but then also um, helping folks that have found a really cool investment strategy, but have never run a fund before. We just kind of do the fund piece so they can go focus on uh, executing the strategy. Next week, we have Rise of the SPAC. I knew he gonna be coming in. He just successfully raised a large uh, SPAC and he's gonna talk about that experience and what it looked like from, from nothing to launch and now they're into the search process. Um, Isla, did I miss anything that I was supposed to touch on here?
3: Nope, you're all set. I will send you guys all an email in just a couple of minutes with the Telegram link. Hop on. There's also a desktop app in case you prefer to be perpetually distracted at work with uh, awesome requests from the Diffuse community. Um, Otherwise, thanks so much, Dimitra and uh, Stephanie. It was really lovely having you, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks, everybody,
1: for coming out. Bye-bye.
0: All right. You've been listening to Diffuse Tap with Isla Krem and Kenny Estes. If you enjoy these conversations, join us for the live version every Wednesday-ish at 10 a.m. Central. In addition to the fireside chat, the live event features three rounds of networking in small groups with alternative fund GPs, LPs, and supporters from around the world. Log on to www.diffusefunds.com to register yourself now.